Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Okay, I have a word for you. I want you to, I want you to put your thinking cap on, and I get... Maybe I get a little bit more time this service because we don't have another time bumping up or service bumping up against us. I won't take a long time, but I want you to catch something today. So I want you to think. I'm a I'm a teacher. I I actually uh, went to college for teaching, got my education degree, and I taught public and private school for years. I was a coach, and I my emphasis was American government and U.S. history, although I taught most everything. I love math, too. I used to teach math in English. My minor was in English, so I, I, I did all that in teaching. So I love to teach, so I know when I've lost you. So if I lose you, I'll come down and get you. All right? And I want you to stay with me. I'm going to try. So I want to paint some pictures. I want to, because I understand that, that we learn by by pictures more than almost anything else. Jesus taught by parables. And I try to take some pictures so you can see and kind of paint the picture and describe it verbally so you can see what I'm saying. Because I want you to, I want you to see what God sees. The only way you'll know what God sees is, is by taking the Word of God and take, opening it up, and it will reveal itself to you. Okay? So let's pray. Father, we just pray for revelation. We pray for an anointing upon this word. I pray you give me uh, an ability to, to speak clearly, that it would be made known to us, and it would go down deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, the word of God. We, we go into, the, into God's word, and, and we go to the, both the Old Testament and New Testament, and there's something that God says in this Bible that's very interesting. He goes to, in fact, it's the key scripture in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, 33. You will know this scripture because we probably learned it. I, I've been in the church. See, I was born on Wednesday and was in church on Sunday, so I've been in church all my life. My dad was a pastor too, and so I just, I've been in church, but I, I want to paint a picture of things maybe a little bit different, and I want you to think, uh, kind of put your preconceived ideas aside so you can see this. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Now, here Jesus states God's number one priority is seeking his kingdom. That's his number one priority. God wants you to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness is basically right relationship with God. That's basically, so you're seeking his kingdom. He says that's his First priority. So Jesus comes and says, I want you to seek his kingdom. Now, a kingdom. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his purpose, his intent. And he produces a culture, values, morals, and lifestyle that reflect the king's desires and nature for his, for his citizens. Now, you can't be a king without land. You have to have a territory. You can't be a king without territory and land. It's impossible. Now, I do a whole message on that, but I don't have time. So, we, we have this, this desire God. He comes along and says, I have a priority for you. Seek my kingdom first and seek my righteousness, which is right relationship with him. That's what I want you to seek. So, Christianity, and let me say it this way. Christianity is not a religion. It's a kingdom. You're not seeking a religion 
A religion is man's attempt to search for God. You don't seek God. He, he found you. You don't find him. And so we're not seeking a religion but a kingdom. And within the kingdom is a relationship with the king. Every person on earth is seeking for some kind of meaning, power, purpose, whatever. Religion is man's search for God. And religion, I, I tell you, religion is frustrating. Religion is frustrating. Uh, we, we get dedicated to daily preoccupation with rituals and, 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 and traditions and forms and activities. Religion preoccupies you in order to distract you from your hunger and emptiness for the kingdom. That's what it's all about. Religion is hard work, and it just doesn't work. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's, we will never rest. If you're, in a, if you're in a religion, you didn't come today to be a part of a religion. You came to be a part of a kingdom. You didn't realize that, but that's what it is. Your intent in searching your life is for a kingdom. It, for all of, it, all of us is. It's a kingdom. Now, the problem with Americans is we don't understand kingdom. Because we're, we're not in a kingdom. What kind of government do we live in? <laughs> Thank you for leading right into that. No, we do not live in a democracy. Did you know that? Everybody that tells you to live in a democracy is lying to you. I hear on TV all the time. See, I'm an American government teacher and U.S. history teacher. I'm, I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to prove it to you. We do not live in a democracy. Democracy is when everybody votes for everything. Our founding fathers said, do not, this is not a democracy, for democracy leads to mobocracy. Wow. You know what we, we live in? Well, I'll prove, it to, I'll prove to you what we live in. Let's say our Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic. republic. Didn't say democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. And so that means that we vote on People who represent us, and we live by a constitution. In other words, the rule of law. And so, I, I, excuse me, I get into that and I start just wanna, wanting to go towards civics because that's, that's who I am. But as Americans, we don't understand kingdom. We don't understand the role of a kingdom. You know, you, you, you watch England and you see the queen and you see everything is happening around them. And we kind of, oh, that's kind of cool. But we don't understand what, what a kingdom is. And what, what, what happens is we all share common fears, uh, hopes, dreams, longings, and we're, but we're all seeking, we're all seeking something, and, and it's a king in a kingdom. That's what really we're, because God made you and God put that in you. So what we, what we have today, Christianity is not a religion that we're attempting to be a part of. It is a kingdom that we're seeking uh, to be a part of. And so, uh, God brings this big picture. Have you ever done a, a 10,000 word jigsaw puzzle before? I tell you, that, that can be really frustrating. Even a thousand can be frustrating. But unless you have the picture on the front, do you know how hard it is to put together? How hard to put that jigsaw puzzle together? But when you, have, when you see the picture, oh, okay, that fits there. Oh, yeah, that color's there. Yeah, okay, I see it. God's the same way. He has this big picture, and the Bible is the big picture that he wants you to put your part in. And so what was God's purpose as the big picture artist who created the earth and humanity? What was his original intent, in other words? Let me give you that. In the beginning, God undertook a wonderful building project. That's what it was. 
And his big picture was this. Now watch, watch this. His big picture was to extend his invisible rulership to a visible world. He wanted to extend his heavenly country to another territory. And so he wanted to establish, let me say it this way because he's a king, he wanted to establish a colony of heaven on earth. Okay? So God's original purpose was to establish a manifestation of his heavenly kingdom on earth without coming to earth himself. And so he wanted to extend his heavenly government over the earth and his plan for accomplishing this was to colonize the earth with heaven. He had an inter-realm agenda and he wanted to connect the invisible realm of heaven and the visible realm of earth through colonization and he had to start with citizens from heaven. So he placed Adam and Eve, he created them and he placed them in the middle of this colony on earth and he gave them a direction. Now, you, we, we often think this Bible is just a devotional, kind of a devotional book. It's more than that. It's your constitution. How do I know that? Well, Genesis 1.1 is your preamble. It's a preamble of, the, of our constitution, which says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That is the preamble. And then we go through it. I can, I can go through the whole Bible and tell you what... What everything is from the Old Testament to the New Testament, how God put that together. So he established God's kingship by divine right of creation. And then he can do whatever he pleases with it because he's king. And he wanted to, he wanted to connect heaven and earth. I'll, I'll explain all that. That's why we, there's certain terminology in the Bible that you say all the time you didn't even realize connected it. So, and then he gave us a colonial charter. The colonial charter is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over all the creatures. So God did that. He created him. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, or multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That is the colonial charter. That's what That was their purpose, their mission. And so this charter delineated the purpose. It also designated the persons who were responsible. This charter is not a religious declaration, but a government document that defines governmental intent and establishes governmental authority. We don't understand how God thinks. God does not think in religious terms at all. He only thinks governmentally because he's a king. So everything we... That's why you, you need to understand what civics is about, what government's about, because that's how God thinks. So here's God's big picture. He wanted to create some beings just like himself, place them on the earth, and let them rule it for him as vice regents of his heavenly government. Because God's plans never change, it's still his purpose and plan today, even though Adam and Eve sinned and gave away the title deed of the earth, or the colony to Satan. But God wasn't surprised. He had this thing all figured out. And we, the Bible tells us the narrative of God's intent to bring redemption to us and bring back the kingdom into his rule, not a religion. Are you still with me? And so what he, what he did, we, we see this on the cross. On the cross he died, but after he died he wasn't actually... Silent or passive. You know what happens according to Ephesians chapter 4? He goes to hell. 
And the Bible says he takes captivity captive. In that three-day period, we all look waiting for him to rise from the dead. He's busy at work. He's God. Can you imagine Satan? I, I don't know. I, 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 I see Netflix movies all through the Bible, and I see we're, we're going to get to see him in heaven, you know. I want to see this one where Jesus goes to hell, and all of a sudden the light of Jesus starts growing. And the demons go, what have you done? You know, they're scared to death because Jesus, the Son of God, is now in their midst, and he's not dead. He's alive, and he's taking captivity captive, and he's taking the keys of the kingdom. He's taking the keys of death and hell itself. According to Revelation, he takes them back, which is the title deed to the earth. He takes back... He takes captivity captive. In other words, he takes all those who were righteous before the cross and takes them to heaven with him. Wow. And what does he do? So, and Jesus comes, comes back to the earth then. We can see this all through scripture. The Bible says that Jesus came and when he came, he always preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of God is here. What was he? he was reintroducing the kingdom. What Adam and Eve had in the very beginning. He's reintroducing. If you go to the book of Genesis and go to the book of Revelation, you will see a complementary view. Genesis is the pre to Revelation. Revelation is coming back to what God intended at the very beginning in Genesis. This is just the parentheses. The life we're in right now is the parentheses between Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and Revelation. That's where God wants to get us to. But he has to do that by introducing his kingdom. So he comes, introduces his kingdom. You still with me? Yes. So he has this big picture, and, and he introduces the kingdom. And he, I prove it to you. Psalms 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But in Psalms 115, 16, he says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. So he gave the earth to man. A what? As a colony. To bring heaven and earth together. That's why when you pray, God, Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What was he saying? He's saying, bring heaven down to the colony and let heaven's intent, everything that's in heaven, let it come to pass on the earth. That's why we're here. You're not here just to get to heaven. See, I this this whole you guys uh, you guys need to stay around me a little bit here. We've been fed a bill of goods that Christianity was all about getting saved so you can get to heaven. Not how God thinks of it. Yeah, he wants he wants you to be in heaven. But you know, there's going to be a new earth and a new heavens. And when the new earth comes, he's probably going to put you on the new earth in his kingdom to do things on the new earth. Not just in heaven. Woo! Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay? You stay with me here now. So, we, we, we understand in the kingdom, God did not relinquish his, his ownership. We possess the earth as a trust, as stewards. As kings under the high king of heaven. Uh, we own nothing, but we have access to everything. We have, we're stewards. And as long as we operate within this, these principles of the kingdom, we will establish the kingdom of God. We're a colony of heaven, in other words. 
in our presence on earth was a colonial decision by our king. He created this planet as new territory, fashioned us out of the same material as the new territory. Planted us here. Oh, that's a whole message in itself. Planted us here and issued the colonial charter giving us dominion. And that's why you're here. And you thought you were just trying to get to heaven. No, he says, occupy till I come. He says, you're salt and light. I mean, you go through all these scriptures and all of a sudden these things start making sense within the picture of the kingdom of God instead of a religion. So he says, seek first the kingdom. So in seeking first the kingdom, he places you here with the same material as the earth. He made you out of that. And then he places you here as ambassadors to the king. You're an ambassador. Now, I go to Washington, D.C. a lot. We just got back from there a few weeks ago. We meet with senators and congressmen, pray for them, and see, and I just invite heaven to come down to earth, and every time it happens, I have senators and congressmen just weeping, crying out to God. It's just amazing. You need to be praying for your leaders, not criticizing them. Pray for them and let God just do his work. So, but when I'm in Washington, D.C., there's a, there's a road called Massachusetts Avenue. It's called Mass Ave. And it's Embassy Row. In other words, every 168 nations of the world have an embassy in Washington, D.C. And most of them are on Mass Avenue. And I go down there and I just, it's amazing to me to, to see all this. And what he wants you to, uh, to understand is you're an ambassador in the same way. What do ambassadors do? Well, they speak the words of the king or their leader. They, they, they're concerned with only the interests of their king. They speak only on behalf of the king's government. And they maintain connection and communication with the king. And they carry out the policies established by the king and his government. Now, as ambassadors of Christ, we should only be concerned with the interests of our king. So, in the world of human diplomacy, I want to say it this way. An ambassador never shares his own opinion. It is completely improper for an ambassador to express his personal opinion while acting in the capacity as a representative or ambassador of the government. Ambassador who strays across the line of that actually risks his nation's security and maybe even his own job by doing so. An ambassador simply communicates the position of his government regardless of his personal views. But I have so many Christians that they're always spouting their own personal opinions. But but here's, can I just say it this way? Your opinion doesn't matter. God cares less about your opinion because you're ambassador of the king. You don't really, you don't have the right to share your opinion. And I have, you know, when, we're, when we are placed and are asked to take a position contrary to our king's will, which happens a lot in this culture. I mean, if you know the Bible, you're going to say, you believe in that? And if you're asked to take a position contrary to your king's will, We're simply just to fall back on what he said. In other words, when a person is asked, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? You know how, what I do? I don't say, well, I think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I believe. I say, well, the position of my government is this. And I open the Bible. The position of my government, the position of my king is this. That way, it's not... It doesn't have anything to do with your opinion. Because your opinion doesn't really matter. Now, is that making sense? And as 
as an ambassador, an ambassador's home government uh, provides him with everything he needs to live to perform his task. You know, he'll give him an office, a home, a car, staff, funding, etc. It's the same thing with the kingdom. As we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and we are ambassadors, he will provide everything we need to be an ambassador for him. And so this, this, the, the, this first thing that God created in this creation narrative dictates or shows us his, his priority is the kingdom. I, ho- I hope you get this today. So that's his original intent, is have son and daughters, kings of his own, that can represent him on the earth, have a colony. Okay, now, so we have a king, we have a territory, constitution, a citizenry, we have laws, we have, we have a code of ethics, we have a social culture, we have all these things. There are other kingdom components that you don't really even think about. We, we actually have a health program. It's called healing. We have an education program called the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you a story in just a few minutes that illustrates this. We have a taxation system. It's called tithing. We have a central communication system, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have a diplomatic corps, all of us together. We're the ambassadors of Christ. We have a system of administration, which is the administration of the Spirit through the church. We have an economy. It's called a system of giving and receiving, or as the Bible says, seed, time, and harvest. Are you still with me? See, I'm trying to prove to you this whole Bible is about the kingdom. It's not about a religion. And then, so, so we have this, Jesus comes along, and he wants, what he does is he reintroduces the kingdom, and then he adds some things to it. Are you ready? Because Adam and Eve didn't have time to do this back then. So Jesus comes along, and we see this in Matthew 16. So Jesus comes along, he's walking with the disciples one day, and he asks them a question. Have you ever known that Jesus, Jesus never asks a question for an answer? Because he knows them all, the, he knows all the answers. He asks because he wants them to know something or to find something out. So he asked them, who do people say that I am? Matthew 16, verse 13. Oh, and they all start waxing eloquent. Oh, you are, they say you're Jeremiah or Isaiah or all these different prophets, you know. And then Peter spouts up. Now, Peter always puts his foot in his mouth, but this time Peter said, no, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him and says, Simon Barjona, you didn't think this up. The Father in heaven revealed that to you. He was just saying, it's, there's revelation. And he gave Peter credit for hearing God. And, and, and we, we, we see this happening. It was revealed to him. Now, watch this. This is, this is powerful. So, Jesus identifies him and, and, and entitles him, first of all, Simon Barjona. And then the next phrase, he says, And Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, the word Simon means reed, blowing every wind of doctrine. Peter means a rock. At that moment, at that revelation of the church, of what I'm going to share with you in a minute, of that revelation of that, Jesus changes Peter's name. A name change in the Bible always illustrates character change. He changed his character. Why at this moment... Because he had a revelation. And then Jesus introduced upon that revelation. Jesus says, and upon this revelation, I'm going to build my church. Now watch this. All people knew what church was back then. Because church was just simply, it was a 
it was an identity of an organization. It was called out once to do things. So they had crochet churches. They had farming churches. They had you know, any kind of group of people that wanted to gather together for something. They were called a church. The ecclesia. They called it the ecclesia. Jesus comes along and says, No, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia. And I'm going to, and, and what he says here, and, and, and he says, and I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In other words, I'm going to build my church and it's going to have so much power, it'll have power over hell. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now think about this. So here's, that's exciting to me, I don't know. So we, we talk about a kingdom. God established the kingdom. Then Jesus introduced and reintroduced the kingdom. Then Jesus comes along and sets in the middle of the kingdom on the earth the ecclesia, the Jesus ecclesia, Jesus church, the church of Jesus. And he says it's going to be a supernatural church. It's going to be a group of people that have a supernatural power over hell itself and will be able to bind and loose and have keys of the kingdom. And then he, in, in, and in this setting of the church, he begins to change people's nature. It's in the setting of the ecclesia that your nature is changed. Oh, man. This is just powerful. Now, we tend to think of the church as a religious term. We think of, and we, but we don't know. The word ecclesia is not a religious word. Ecclesia is a government word. Believe it or not, it's a government term, means called out ones, but it was used by the Greeks to refer to the Senate or other political groups that were chosen by the government. The Romans, when they took over the Greeks, adopted the same terminology and used the term ecclesia to refer to their Senate. And so the Senate was the powerhouse. They were handpicked by the emperor to receive his thoughts, his desires, his passion, his intent. Their job was to take the mind of the king and turn it into legislation that could be implemented in the kingdom. Could be implemented in the kingdom. They were to know his mind, see that everything he wished was carried out. In order to do this, they had to stay in close contact with him. They had to talk to him. They had to get information from him. And and Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. So what Jesus was saying, I want to build my senate. You're the Senate. Come on, it's a, it's a political term. I'm sorry, people. If you don't like politics, you better get over it. Because you're, you're in the spiritual or the ecclesia or the political government of God. And this whole thing of religion is man's way of kind of co-opting what the kingdom is all about. And he was telling us that the church is a political term. Not a religious term. He was also telling us that the idea of keys and binding and loosing was not a religious term, but a governmental political term. He, he basically was saying on, on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my senate, my cabinet, my, my ecclesia. I'm going to build my administrators, my government, who will carry out my wishes and my will. So it's, Jesus established a political force, not the way we think. It's not a religion. It's not the political force of running around with placards and everything. It's a group of people that have information from God, secret information critical for the operation of the kingdom, and it will be so powerful that it will have power over the gates of hell itself. Gates always speak of authority. We'll have a power over the authority of hell itself. 
And binding and loosing doesn't have to do with just binding up demonic spirits. It means, it means that what we permit on earth, heaven will permit. Do you know, <laughs> I, I told you this when I was, spoke on prayer last time. God is not here because he is using you as the ambassador and as the vice regent. So his voice is not being heard. God says, if you don't say it, it won't be said. If you don't pray it, it won't be prayed. If you don't do it, it won't get done. Because I'm not going to come down and co-opt what you were given authority to do. We're always saying, God, come down and do this. And he's saying, well, why don't you do it? I gave you the voice. I have a whole message on that. I'm sorry. I could be here for months if telling you, trying to get you all ramped up here. And so he's saying that. So Jesus wants to give secret information to his cabinet or his senate. And that's, that's why we come to church. See, church isn't a service as much as it is a community of believers to hear God and to speak and to do what he tells us to do. We are representing heaven. I think there, now I know this for sure. When, when Jesus, oh, let me say it this way. So, have you ever had a set of keys that you didn't know what they were for? And you tried to open a door with them and you could A set of keys you don't know what they're for are as, are as useful as, as no keys at all. Right? But Jesus says, I'm going to give you keys of the kingdom. And he says keys of the kingdom, not for the kingdom. You're going to have of the kingdom. You're going to have, you're going to be delegate. You know, when you have keys, you have authority. I remember when I was, a, when I was teaching school, the, the, the students in school were asked to say, well, who's the most important person in school? You know who they said was the most important kid, person in school? Was the janitor. And why did they say that? Well, he has all the keys. He can open every door. Come on. So, uh, and then he goes, is this making sense? So he goes on and he says, uh, what we permit on earth, heaven will permit. Whatever we disallow in society, heaven will make sure it doesn't happen. But we have to start it. He says, heaven's not going to do what earth doesn't do first. So you have to either stop it or let it go. In other words, the management of the earth is totally up to us. Uh. We're responsible for the evil, the ills, the suffering in the world. These are things that are a reflection of the nature. And he's not going to interfere on earth unless we release him to do so. And that's why we pray. We ask God to come down and do it. And that's why, you know, the, 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 key, the keys of the kingdom, there's, there's a lot of keys. There's the, the key of, of knowledge. There's, the, according to Scripture, the key of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you a story in just a minute. Key of the Holy Spirit. There's the key... Uh, keys of the kingdom could be the king of the kingdom of uh, the key of prayer. All these different things, the king of the, the key of the Holy Spirit. These are all keys that we must use. And Jesus used a couple keys. This is interesting. When Jesus went and fed the five thousand, do you know he used two keys? Do you know how he unlocked heaven? And I believe what what uh, this is why I like to paint pictures. I think there are warehouses in heaven that God gives you keys. But you don't use them because you don't know they're there for you to use. When Jesus prayed, uh, 
at, at the feeding of the 5,000, he prayed, he, pray, he used the key of prayer. He prayed to his father, asked him for a miracle, and then used the key of thankfulness. We don't thank God enough. And I think we need to do it before the answer is given. See, Jesus thanked the Father before it was actually given. That, and he opened heaven. I think there's a warehouse right now waiting for you. Take your key out and start opening things and causing the whatever's needed to come to earth. Okay? So, Luke 8.10, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. So he wants to give it to us. And the key of prayer, I mean, the key of prayer is whatever you pray in my will, according, in agreement, it will be done. I mean, you, there, I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture of this. And I, I think we just need to start having a lot more faith and just, just calling on God to do these things. And, and having these keys in place so we can see uh, God work. And then people are going to come into the into the ecclesia. Now, here, here's, here's the issue. The ecclesia, the church, is the instrument of God to extend the kingdom. That's his instrument he put on the earth. If you're not a part of the church, then what, what you're saying, God, I don't believe your will on the earth. You have to be a part of an ecclesia. I'm going I'm to tell you right now, this is the secret sauce of my life. If you want to know what secret sauce is, when we, were, when we started our church in 1983, we had three kids. Chris was seven, Rochelle was five, Tracy was two. And we'd, we'd have all these meetings, and they wouldn't want to go. And I said, you're coming. And we'd have prayer meetings, and we'd pray and pray and seek God. And they would squirm around, and sometimes they'd you know, move under the seats, and they would color and different, different things. But I, I, what I wanted them to get, I wanted them to be on, in the crock pot of the church. As they're in this crock pot, they get all the juices. Now, here's Rochelle. Can I just tell you, you have a great, great pastors here. And I wasn't real happy when they decided to come to California. But I'm telling you, we felt the will of God. We sent them here. You are in this church because of what God, God crock-potted in Tracy and the family and then in Mark over the years at the Ecclesia in Boise. I hope you're catching this. I'm just telling you my heart today. And I had, I, I did this message a few uh, recently at our church, and I had people who came up to me crying afterwards saying, Pastor Ken, that meant so much because it's true. My kids are alive and in church and blessed today because I kept them in the church. The ecclesia. Now, I'm going to give you four metaphors as I close. Four metaphors to illustrate what it means to you personally and how this ecclesia identifies us and helps us personally. Now, I want to give you one story. Two, I'll give you two. Uh, the key of the Holy Spirit is, is important for the church. Uh, Mark has been teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is key in our lives. I was, like I said, I was born in the church, but I wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit until I was about 23. I was saved. I was baptized in water when I was 20. But then I was about 23, 24, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It changed my whole life. 
I wouldn't have started church. I wouldn't be here today if the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon me. As it says in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Power comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, that's what Jesus said was going to happen because it's a supernatural church. The ecclesia is supernatural. Acts chapter 2, all theologians will tell you that the actual church in the book of Acts was birthed in Acts chapter 2. By whom? The Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit fell, fire on each person. And then there was a, uh, you know, everybody began to speak in tongues. There was a manifestation of the baptism. I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has to be in the church, or the Holy Spirit must be in the church for us to operate and hear what God is saying from heaven to earth to actually operate as the proper ecclesia, as the instrument of God in the kingdom of God to influence the world that we live in, okay? And there's only two kingdoms. There's only the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And we got the kingdom of darkness is just a... There, it's trying to raise its head... And he's not really hiding much anymore. Have you noticed that? If you watch politics, watch Hollywood, watch every influence, they'll they'll tell you what they're there for. And most of it's contrary to God's kingdom. And what the church has to do is stand up. We don't have to be mean. We just stand up and call on our God. And listen, he's got quite an army. I mean, if you just take the angels... One-third of the angels fell. That means two-thirds didn't. Just with the angels, we got an advantage. But then we got the Holy Spirit, who can be everywhere at once. Excuse me, I get on a lot of topics here because I only have one Sunday to tell you all this. And so, we, we, my life was totally changed. And I'm telling you, the churches that accept the Holy Spirit will be the churches that change culture. We just don't get saved to be saved. We get saved so we can be a part of a kingdom and an ambassador for the king in, the, in his kingdom, in the ecclesia on the earth, to make a difference. You are making a difference in Mission Viejo and San Capistrano and all the area over here if you will continue to join together. You're not just a, you don't just come to church to have a service. You are a community of believers. I personally believe as we get closer to the day of Jesus coming back, we're going to have to meet daily. You go to Acts chapter 2, you go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I'm just telling you, you will see that they met daily because there was so much power that they needed. And God wants to represent that. So, one more story about in, in the ecclesia, things change. And it changes by the Holy Spirit. So, I'm not going to tell you all the details, but just a few weeks ago, we have, uh, my daughter leads this CYA, uh, our capital youth group and uh, youth, young adults actually. And, and I, I spoke down there. And then after the service, Tracy, my daughter brings up this, this girl and, and she says, this, this uh, dad, this is Taylor. And she wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then she told me her story before I prayed for her. I'm telling you, her life was a mess. It was a total, I don't I want to go into all the, de- it was a mess. She lived with people who were into witchcraft. There's all kinds of junk and everything. But she came up to me and she said, Pastor Ken, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was baptized in water and at church and it changed my life. And I'm just, I just want to be baptized. I heard about the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I, 
I said, okay. And so I went through Acts a little bit, just told her what that, what, what that would mean. And she's, okay, I'm ready. So I prayed for her. And she didn't receive right then in the sense of speaking in tongues right then. But uh, I, I told her, just, just receive. And when the Spirit gives utterance, it will be at his choosing in his time. Well, a week or two goes by. She's in her home with two girls that practice witchcraft. They came out of her room and she felt this just darkness and cold. And she was right outside the door when, 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 they, when they came out. And she just, all of a sudden, she just, something came up in her and she started speaking in tongues. She, first time. She just started speaking over them. They go, whoa, what's that? And it was power. And, and it just, it released her to have boldness, favor, grace on her life. She comes to church the next, she comes, she comes to see why. She comes through the door. I see her. She comes running. Pastor Ken, she has, she's like an angel. Her face is shining. Every week it's another adventure for Taylor. Because in the church, you don't have to tell them what to do. I didn't have to tell them, well, Taylor, you got to do this and this and this. No, kind of let the Holy Spirit do it. You can pray for him. You can kind of guide him. But I tell you, her life has totally changed. I can't, Tracy says, Dad, every week she's got another story for me. I can't wait to hear after tonight's service what, she's, what she said God did this week. I'm telling you, that's what happens in the ecclesia. That's why you better be a part of it. Now, watch this. I'm going to transition, give you four metaphors, and I'm done. There's two scriptures that are key. It, it, it involves you. God says in Psalm 68, he sets the solitary in families. He sets them in families. The word family is a synonym for ecclesia. He sets the solitary. I looked up the word solitary, and it's not what you think. It says he, it's, he sets his darlings, his people, his favorites in the church, in the, in the ecclesia. And the word set is not just, I kind of set. I assign you, I set you. And the word comes from the story of the tabernacle of Moses in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, where the tabernacle of Moses was the structure they took through the wilderness when they were going through the wilderness in the, with the children of Israel. And it, had, it housed the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies and different things, and they'd sacrifice uh, animals there. And they would take the structure and they would, when the cloud moved, they moved, and then they would move the structure, and then they stopped and they would set the structure. They would put the foundation in. And then they would take the walls. The wall's bottom was called silver tenons. Silver tenons. And they would set the silver tenons in the foundation. The word tenons means hands. If you go to the New Testament, it says they laid their hands upon the apostles. Laid their hands. They set them in place. There's something about the power of laying on of hands that sets you in place. That, that you, they, you're unmovable. That's what the Levitical priesthood did. They set those walls in place. You need to be set in the house, set in the ecclesia, where God assigns you. You don't necessarily choose where you want to go. And when you go to a church, there's going to be people you don't necessarily get along with. Because God says... Sandpaper. Iron sharpens iron. Why? Because he wants you to grow. And so a lot of people, do you know the typical time people stay in churches now is 18 months? Most believers in America change churches every 18 months. 
and the only go to a church service once a month. And that's not you guys. This is a good ecclesia. But, but the ecclesia isn't just for you. It's for the culture. Just by you being here, you're salt and light. By your prayers, your influence, your praise, your whatever you're doing, you're an influence. You're changing the culture in California. And let me tell you, California needs some culture change. I'm telling you, everybody, everybody, all my realtors in my church saying, it looks like everybody in California is moving to Idaho. You know, they're moving out of, of California. Why? I think it's a lot because of culture. We've got to change the culture down here. You were sent as missionaries to change the culture down You're an ambassador for the king to change the culture. Okay. I got, I got to close here. But one, one more thing. One, one more thing, and then I'll give you four metaphors. One more thing is uh, in... In Psalms chapter 92, verses 13 and 14, I think it says, it says, you will flourish where you're planted. Those who were planted will flourish in the courts of their God. And you will bear fruit in old age. I'm telling you, I think I'm bearing fruit after 36 years in my ecclesia. And you will too. If you raise your kids in the ecclesia, things will happen. You will bear fruit and you will be planted. Have you noticed that the Bible says a man's life is as a tree? Have you noticed trees that get transplanted all the time soon die and are dwarfed? You don't see flying trees. But you see a lot of flying Christians. But they never grow. Okay, I gotta, I gotta, get, I gotta get through this. Okay, I gave you... Have you noticed what, there's a need for connectivity in our culture. There's fiber optics, everybody talking about connectivity, talking about social media, talking about Instagram, Facebook, but really it's not really connection. There's more, there's more depression and suicide today as ever before, because the Bible says, Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. We're made to be connected and we're made to be connected to the church, the ecclesia, to be a representative of God, ambassador of his kingdom. But this king, this, this present culture is all about, is all about self. We, but we need to be connected. And let, let me read this. Dr. Edward Hallowell said this, We're a nation of doers. We hurry from place to place, filling our lives with all kinds of activities, sometimes over scheduling our kids and ourselves. But what, what really sustains us emotionally, psychologically and physically is connectedness. The feeling that we're part of something that matters, something larger than ourselves that gives life meaning. Just as there is a vitamin deficiency, there's a human contact deficiency, and it weakens the body, the mind, and the spirit. It rav its ravages can be severe depression, physical illness, and even early death. Or they can be mild, underachievement, fatigue, loneliness. Just as we need vitamin C each day, we also need a dose of human contact every day. And I think that has to happen in the church. This is the best connectivity. So four, four metaphors. We're, all of us together, we're a brick in a building or a stone in a building. The Bible talks about that in Ephesians 2.20. It says your believers are like a building that God owns. Jesus is the most important stone in the building and the whole building is joined together in Christ. The key to building a church structure is all of the parts have to fit together. Right? When we were building our church in 1993, 94, before the church was a building, all the parts were set out on the ground. But they weren't a building until they were attached. 
until they were connected. You are not a building and a part of God's ecclesia until you're attached. You're connected. You have to get connected and see yourself as a brick uh, in, in that building together. Uh, in, in a building, the connected parts support each other. And we need that support. We need emotional, physical, spiritual support. And that's what it, it's like. The second metaphor is this. And this is in the New Testament. Jesus said it and, 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 and Paul said it. We're a member of a body. That's the second metaphor or picture. The Bible compares this to being part of a body. Romans 12, 4 says, Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's bodies. We're all part, we are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete for each, for we each have different work to do. And we can glean something from this. We're all unique. Everyone in this room has is unique. You have gifts and callings, and your gifts aren't for you, they're for the body. They're for others. And so he's saying that that's what and each of us are 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 needed to make to make the body complete. The hand can't say the foot, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the arm, I don't need you. And have you ever noticed that you you notice members of the body most? The members that you never thought you ever used until you hurt them? I stubbed my little toe the other day. I didn't even realize I used that toe for much until I stubbed it and couldn't walk. And then my whole body hurt because one little part hurt. We need each other. We hurt for each other. We belong to each other. We're connected to each other. In, all the, in, in a body, the, all the parts grow together. In other words, you, your body members don't grow until the body member is attached to the body. If I cut this arm off, the arm dies, but the body grows. As long as that arm is connected, it's growing. It's, it's fruitful. It's, it's thriving. You understand what I'm saying? So that's why in a, in a body we, we are connected and we grow together. The third metaphor, and I'm just about done, is a sheep and a flock. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, God made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So we, we're, 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 we're protected and we're sheep. In a flock, the sheep are protected and cared for. I have a whole other message about this. I'm sorry I can't tell you today. I'm, I'm telling you right now. God allows local churches to be protective agents for those that are inside. It's like an umbrella that goes over those who are planted so they can be protected. That doesn't mean that we don't have problems, but it means you're protected from certain elements of the enemy that if you're outside the covering, you will have to go through. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so there's, there's, I give you, man, I can give you stories in the Old Testament that just blow you away. I'll do that next time I'm here. It's a protection. The church is a protection. I can't, I can't describe it, but I can tell you, I had a woman come up to me when I spoke this message at our church. She said, Pastor Ken, I understand it now. I, we've been in the church for, you know, 50, 15, 18 years. And I realized my children wouldn't have made it without the church. I realize I'm protected. I'm secure in the church. You don't know what your leaders go through for you to have peace. I didn't know until I was a senior pastor and I was a, I was a lead shepherd. What I had to go through, I fight a daily spiritual battle that frankly, you don't have to fight. Fight it every day. I, I learned to live with it and I learned to pray against it. I learned to have authority over it. 
I ask God for years, isn't there another job I can do? But if you're called, you're called. So I'm just telling you, get inside. I tell people this all the time. Get in the house. Get in the house. You're safe in the house. Ah, okay, I, I, where am I here? Number, number four, we're, the last one is we're a member of a family. It's the, the picture of the family, the family of God. First Timothy 3.15. I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church. It's the church. Romans 12.10, love each other like brothers and sisters. The phrase, do you know the phrase one another is used 58 times in the New Testament? Love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, support one another, give to one another, help one another. It's the mutual ministry of the, of the, of the church. That's what it means to be a member of the family. We're not spectators. We're members of the family of God. I, I, I remember hearing this song years ago. You're going you're gonna to know what I'm saying when I read this to you. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. What's that from? You guys watch too much TV. It's Cheers, but really, you know, that, that song, it's not about a bar. It's about the church. It's really about the church. That's the designation of the church. Everybody will know your name. They don't know your name at a bar. They're drunk half the time. They don't even know what's going on. But in a family, the members love each other. They come together and they, they're a part of the ecclesia, the supernatural ecclesia that's changing all of us. We're connected. We're a family. We're body members. Everything is working together. We're bricks in the stone in the building. That's what we're made to be. You were made to be in the ecclesia to represent the kingdom of God on earth and see his value and his cultures come about in the area around you. Is, does this make sense today? You're set here, people. You, you think, you, oh, I, I chose the church I was in. No, you really don't. God chooses you and sets you. You're assigned. Don't leave your assignment until God says it's time. This was really good, Ken. Thank you, God. I, I'm going to tell you, that's a secret sauce of my life. That is one of the main reasons why I'm where I am today. It's because I just told you my secret. If you'll do the same, in 30 years, you will say, Pastor Ken, you were right. You were exact. I have people telling me that now. Because we've lived together for some of us for 36 years, 35 years, 30 years, 25 years. Get in the ecclesia and see what God will do. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.